0: Do you have a dream to leave your job, have a four hour work week and make easy money online? Are
1: you in a perpetual state of being busy or frantic and is making a ton of cash really going to give you the respect and peace of mind you may want? Before my coaching client Brian Smith made his millions, he was struggling to be the guy who stood above the rest. The truth, he was barely scraping by $250,000 in personal debt overweight, underslept, and very stressed out. So today, we're discussing what he's learned from chasing success and trying to stand out.
2: Well, I, I just think that just so people know sort of what our conversations are like, um, when we're not doing a podcast, we, should, we have to make sure we include butt
1: stuff. that's your request that we put some 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 butt stuff in there
2: this is only this is only for your own transparency i'm trying to help your listeners out
1: so this is about you want people to know that i'm into butt stuff is that what is that what it is that that i coach my my coaching platform is built on butt stuff
2: (laughs) those are your words (laughs) I want
1: to make sure I, I want to make sure you you get a, get this across that you, you want to make sure you, you uh, pull back the curtain for the listeners on what it's like to work <laughs> with me. We have we have worked together for what it's over a year now, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah, it's been. I was just uh, talking about that. The other, I met with uh, Stuart the, just a couple of days ago, and I, that's when I realized that I had. We were talking about you, and that's when I realized that we had been working together for just over a year yeah, right about
1: and you contacted me because you had just um, you were in the process at that point of selling your commercial real estate business, but even before that you had um you were what was it you were in the financial banking industry what were you doing there? you left college and you went you or you got out of college and then you did what
2: well, I graduated from from my undergrad and went straight into getting a graduate degree, a master's of science in finance. And while I was doing that, I started working in investment banking. And um, so I was getting my MS in finance while working in investment banking, finished that degree and then got hired by another investment bank that focused on commercial real estate. And that's how I got into real estate to begin with.
1: So you're working and i because i'm I'm not so much interested in kind of the nuts and bolts of the stuff that you've you've done, I'm more interested in kind of the mindset you had at that time. so when you were in school and you're getting ready to graduate, what were you thinking what's what was the game plan for you at that time?
2: The game plan was expensive cars watches, and hot women that was <laughs> <laughs> you were on that, that plan all right <laughs> that was that was the game plan I used to uh I I remember there was a, a car wash near uh, the University of Denver that I used to go take my car and I would just sit there and watch the guys with, uh, you know, the big watches and the, the Range Rovers and, you know, the occasional Ferrari or Lamborghini that would come through and just thought, damn, how do I get to, to be like that? And that? That was the plan.
1: That was um, the plan. Okay. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. It makes And I love, I love fancy cars too. I, I, you know, that my inner nine-year-old is like, you know, hell yeah. Love those cars <laughs> and stuff. But you, you actually went out and like, that's the plan. I'm going to get on that plan so I can have the, the fancy cars and the, the, the watches and the hot women. Um, so you went into commercial uh, real estate, but you were on the, you were on the financial side of it. You were working in the bank side of it. Is that right?
2: Uh, yeah, investment banking side. So I wasn't uh, the real strict uh, guy that you go just sit down with to to get a loan. I was I worked much longer hours than that guy did, and okay. uh, had to do more more complex financial work. But it uh, it still was crunching numbers and trying to make things work on paper.
1: So that's one of the first, it sounds like that was one of the first places where you're like, wait a second, I didn't get into this to just sit here and crunch numbers. I got in here to actually be close to where the action is, like where, where buildings are being created or managed or that kind of thing. Is that right?
2: Well, I, I got into it because I wanted to, to get a chance to, to make some money. And I, I always, at that time, I was viewing it through the lens of you know what I could buy with the money. I wasn't thinking, oh, I want to have 10 million dollars in the bank I was thinking of you know the things the the things I wanted to get with the money and then the people that I was working with at the time um, I, I was looking around realizing that the managing director of the office I worked in and all of these guys that have been there for years that were in their 40s 50s and even 60s were you know not not the guys that I had looked up to at you know, the car wash or the entrepreneurs I had seen that are out making a lot of money. It was it was really that environment that started to, to turn me off more so than even, you know, sitting in a, in a cubicle.
1: So you kind of knew, all right, I'm going to be crunching numbers. I'm going to be in the power cubicle. Um, but then once you got in there, you realized, hey, I'm not, the guys that I'm, you know, underneath, they're not on this, they're not on the plan I really want to be on.
2: No, they were, these were guys that, you know, Basically, middle management that they were comfortable being there, uh-huh. and um, I was never comfortable in the position I was in. So I ran into a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of challenges dealing with different personality types because I wouldn't just go and do what I was told. I'd go and try to figure out how to stand out so I could try to advance within the company. So Got so it. that it was. Not an environment that allowed for any real creativity on my part, and also didn't allow for um, didn't allow for for very quick advancement because some of these guys have been in the same position for you know seriously thirty years.
1: How long did it take you to realize that you weren't going to stick it out and and play this game?
2: Well, I always considered myself, you know, somewhat of a fast mover. So I didn't go in there expecting to stay in that position for very long. You know, the first year I was there I was already asking how the heck do I get ahead? Within the first two years, that's when I started realizing, hey, I gotta
1: get the hell out. And so what did that mean to get the hell out? What did what are you just gonna were you just gonna make a jump blindly or did you have a sense of where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do?
2: Well, I mean, at the time, I was 25, so I had all of the answers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You knew it all.
2: (laughs) I knew exactly what the hell the world was going to do, and I was uh, dutifully read the four-hour work week, so me and Tim Ferriss were going to go travel the world, working four hours every week and making gobs of money. Right. And um, so that... that was the plan.
1: <laughs> that's right. But that's not really what happened. What did you what did you end up doing?
2: The the way that that I ended up leaving there, there's there was a lot of things happening at the same time, but I basically put a date on a calendar and said I've got to get a business started by this date and if not, then I I'm still quitting this job and going to go off and do, do my own thing. And there, in order to do that, I had to, um, you know, I was still young and, you know, I had a pretty close relationship with my family and I still do, but it was, um, you know, talking it over with, uh, with my folks, I had to sort of come up with a, a rationale for why I would just jump and jump ship on a good job and go, Do my own thing, Mm -hmm. and so I sort of came up with some uh, fabricated uh, change in policy that was going to occur at a certain date. And uh,
1: (laughs) so you lied.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they they might find out for the first time listening to this podcast.
1: (laughs) But that's it, right? Like, isn't it interesting? Like, we we feel like we need permission, or we even though you were twenty five and you had the world figured out, it was still like I need I need to have a green light here to leave this job.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it was it was taking a big risk. And at the time, I had been working with a couple of different friends working on uh, different businesses. Ultimately, neither one of those things got any traction, um, any meaningful traction. And um, but that was what that's what occupied my time. When I left uh, when I left that job,
1: you didn't really I mean, did any of those things have any real traction? Or were you like, I'm going and I'll figure it out after I after I get going?
2: Oh no! They they had all the traction I thought I needed. I I had a perfectly planned out website. <laughs> 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 right. Yeah, I, I was just going to figure this shit out because it was it was not it, how hard could it be? Everybody was out making money online, and I was young and smart, and you know nobody could tell me what to do. So Got I <laughs> I went out and did that. Not only did I did I start, you know really putting a ton of time into that work. I got involved and wrote a number of blog posts and got a decent amount of traction on those and could never figure out how to make any money from that. And to really sort of top it all off, I hopped on a plane and went to Europe and thought I would just travel around Europe and figure out how to make money while, you know, living in hostels and living with friends in Europe. So it, uh, it was just the you know the perfect concoction to actually create a business, which um, you know I think I I probably spent more time finding little hole in the wall absinthe bars in Budapest than I did actually working on any of these businesses. Uh huh. Um, but ultimately, I you know I spent a ton of time, got to a point where I started to realize, oh holy shit, this is. This is not going to work the way that I had intended. And fortunately, um, it just so happened that a few of the clients that I had been working with in Denver and in throughout Colorado were having some issues with their real estate deals. And so I was able to get a lot of uh, consulting work back in Colorado. And that's what I did. I went back and started working with these clients, getting paid consulting fees, which I went from. Trying to start a, start these businesses that I really knew nothing about and was completely dependent upon others into something that I actually knew something about and was uh, for at least a, a time uh, trading hours for dollars and making decent money. Got it. Um, But that was that was still uh, not that it. That, that wasn't what yeah. the
1: plan was ultimately. But th- that's interesting, right? You jumped. I'm going to be one of these guys that makes a lot of money online that didn't quite pan out. Oh, shit. Um, and then realizing you have a ton of experience, you have a lot of expertise, um, and and plus just a lot of potential, right? You still have a ton of learning and the ability to learn really quickly and implement that stuff. And then you found your way back into real estate. That's a big lesson there because um, I think a lot of us think that whatever that next transition is going to be, it's going to be 180 degrees from what we're doing now. So I, I always like to see like, well, usually it's like a 15 or 20 degree shift, um, at least just that next step. And then, you know, after a while, we we continue to make these transitions. But, um, I think I see that pattern a lot. It's not true for everybody, but it, um, it, it's interesting how it showed up for you too. So.
2: Well, I, I think that when you jump into those new areas where you don't have that depth of knowledge and that depth of experience, you just see nothing but opportunity. It's almost like when you, you know, you get so used to the mundane and the, the habitual when you're, you know, at home. And then when you go travel, it's, you know, the world is fear is full of exciting new things. Right. And when it's you're fresh. jumping into a, yeah, it's completely fresh. And so when you're jumping into a, a new professional area, you're seeing things for the first time and it's exciting and it's new. Um, but then you look back at what you where you came from. You say, "Oh, I don't want to get into." In my case, it was commercial real estate. I don't want to do that. I know all the the reasons why. So I'm you're not resistant. Make money is quick. Oh, yeah. totally resistant.
1: Yeah. All right. So you were consulting. You were trading time for money. That wasn't quite the plan for babes, watches, and 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 high end cars. So what happened after that?
2: Well, and at this point, I had I had met the the babe that is now. Woman that I'm married to. So
1: So we got, we checked one off the list, right?
2: (laughs) Ultimately, through some connections I made, got involved in my first commercial real estate deal. Um, But I didn't do it in a way that most people would approach commercial real estate.
1: Well, we, I mean, were you excited? Or, because you, you mentioned like, there's no way I don't want to go back into commercial real estate. So through a series of events, was where did you? Was it like, all right, I'll give this a shot, or hey, you know what, I'm excited about this. What was what was your attitude at that time when you when you're finally going to stick your neck out?
2: It was that I I saw a way to potentially make a lot of money, and I that's entirely why I got into it and. I can't say I was super excited about it. I just saw an opportunity and went for it. It, it was really the, the first point in my life too, where where I had not gone and asked a lot of the people that were close to me, what do you think of this? Should I do this? And allowed them to talk me out of it. Instead, I went ahead and pulled the trigger on the deal. I had a woman who's now my wife that was terrified at the time that I had gone a little crazy. I had, um, my mother, father and brother thinking I had completely lost my mind and um, a 25,000 square foot warehouse that was completely vacant and falling apart along the railroad tracks in Denver to, to work on. And so I saw it as a ton of opportunity and something that um, because I was the guy bringing the lion's share of the cash to the deal, I thought, Oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to have a nice little place to have an office and, uh, some other guys to, to take care of actually doing all the hard work and heavy lifting for me. And I'm just going to collect checks and I can keep consulting. I can keep building other businesses and I can just act like, you know, the, the rich real estate
1: owner. So that was that the reality or was there another reality?
2: (laughs) Um, well, one thing that that I've learned is uh, if you have partners and one guy brings the cash and the other partners don't bring any cash, typically, the partners that don't bring the cash aren't quite as motivated. Within fairly short order, I went from being the guy who was supposed to do nothing more than have the checks delivered to me and to over just to make sure that the the books are being kept to I was cleaning toilets, collecting rent, um, evicting people, and overseeing construction teams. And I really didn't have a whole lot of uh, experience doing any of those. Well, save for cleaning toilets, I didn't have a lot of experience doing any of those things.
1: And were there, were there any moments like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? I want to get out of this? Or were was it exciting? What was it like? You know, I think that... <laughs>
2: I don't I didn't give myself a lot of opportunity to say what the hell did I get myself into and and that I want to get out of it. There was no way out. The only way out was to go through it. I could just walk away, but then I would lose every dime I ever put into it. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to have any money left to my name was to figure out how to get this deal to work. Because this was not part of a large, you know, portfolio strategy. This was a hundred percent of what Brian had to work with was in this deal.
1: Right. But that wasn't the only deal you did. So at, at what point did you, did you start doing other things?
2: Too quickly. <laughs> so it, we started to have some traction on that deal. And bef- we said, Hey, we're growing quickly. Let's go ahead and do it, do our next deal. So it was from the time that we started the first one to the time that we started the second, it was about eight months. Wow. And the, the idea just being, let's, Create as big of a footprint as quickly as possible.
1: And was this still all dollars in you, dollars in your eyes? You know, dollar signs in your eyes. Like is this still just like I got to make as much money as I can and go go go? Or yeah, what kind what's really driving you at this point?
2: At this point, people were starting. You know, I started to see that people were. Uh, treating me different. They were respecting me as the, you know, the landlord, as the owner of these properties. And as somebody that was doing something in this particular
1: community. So you start to get some recognition and, and, and what's that like, what's that feel like?
2: It was, it was pretty rad at the beginning. I, I thought it was, you know, Hey, people are respecting what I'm doing. Um, I must be doing something right. Uh-huh. Uh, I I knew all of the other business owners in the area. Uh, I could get meetings with people when I wanted to. i I never really felt like I knew what the hell I was doing. And so I just sort of I just did my best to act like I did. Mm-hmm. And it felt, you know it, it felt good. It felt like i was I was doing something. It felt like I had, you know, actually achieved some success. And even though, you know at those early times we were not sure if we were ever going to even cash flow, it felt like, you know, hey, I've actually accomplished something because people are respecting me and respecting, you know, the work that I'm doing here. So it was, it went from just being about money to being about, um, you know, sort of the the notoriety that I was getting in the community. And, you know, there'd be press pieces written about what we were doing and they'd be all glowing and um, I'd start to believe, you know, our own. Press releases that we were putting out there. By <laughs> Look how great. We are. <laughs> we are freaking awesome. And uh, then it things started to catch up to me, and I was getting to a point where money was becoming a really, really big issue for me personally.
1: Meaning and I, you didn't have enough money for your lifestyle, and is that what does that mean? Just for anybody that doesn't understand?
2: Absolutely, I didn't have enough money to to pay my bills. And I was still, because I created this persona, um, I couldn't go around looking like I was not making enough money um, to be in the position I was in. So I was, uh, I still was driving the nice cars. I was still doing, you know, doing everything that I had been doing before, but um, I wasn't. Making any money, so fine the so you had an appearance the scenes, you had
1: an appearance to to maintain, but the reality was is the money wasn't wasn't you were you were in a crunch,
2: oh, huge crunch. I mean, we're talking i I had done some things that I shouldn't have structured, so that I was personally this isn't counting a mortgage or anything like that. I was personally almost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, okay, and that was uh, trying to trying to figure out how to pay the bills, how to pay the mortgage and, you know, not go and ask, you know, my parents or someone for help. That was tough. Um, and you know, my wife who, she wasn't my wife at the time when she met me, I was taking her out to Capitol grill and nice dinners and, uh, I had to have some conversations with her and she stuck around as we got really creative with new ways to make ramen (laughs) and, it uh, it was tough, though, but it was keeping, you know, behind the scenes was where the, the tough stuff happened.
1: So you go from having this desk job that, you know, you would have done well. It was definitely the path of stability. You could see where there had been guys in this place in the game for 30 years. You ditch that. You want to be the next Tim Ferris kind of thing. And, and now you wake up and you're 250K in the hole and um you got bills to pay and you got property to manage and and people with their hand out needing stuff from you what do you do then
2: so i just kept pushing (laughs) so we did more deals we had a good trajectory but we kept doing more and more deals and so rather than than focusing on dealing with the problems i had at hand i also you know kept up the appearance of doing great by uh Constantly trying to grow this business, which mm. it was constantly touch and go. Ultimately, got to a point where you know we're working on bigger and bigger deals. I was running up against um, guys that had a lot more money to play with, and I was you know screwed by guys that came up that said that they were going to be they wanted to be a partner with me. Um, people that blatantly stole. You know the programming that we had done for buildings and you know complete business ideas. Uh, after saying that they wanted to be a partner, so things that you know at 27, 28 years old were were really frustrating. My business partner and I, my main investor and I, sat down and said, "Hey, let's reassess what we're doing here." And we decided that it was best to just sell everything because the valuations on this real estate had gotten to the point where we couldn't really understand why it was selling for as much as it was. So,
1: And was that a relief? I, I'm As I'm hearing you talk about this, it was like, I just want to... There's a part like, I'm ready to get out of this game. This isn't the game I want to be playing anymore. Is that right?
2: Oh, oh my God, it was such a huge relief because it was... It, it, at the time, I was... It was an extremely stressful time. To say I was sleeping two hours a night consistently, I, I might be overstating how much I I actually slept by about fifty percent.
1: Because you were um, and you were overweight, your body like d- describe I kind was, of where your 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 fitness was at that level.
2: Yeah, I was almost two hundred and thirty pounds, um, and I'm you know just about six foot, so I was carrying a lot of weight. I was way out of shape. I was um, constantly you know, eating terrible food. I would eat, you know, just because Jimmy John's could would deliver quickly in downtown Denver. <laughs> I would sometimes have that three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd always have him deliver the potato chips and the Diet Coke and everything too.
1: Living the uh, dream.
2: Oh, man, it was... Uh, I can't even look at those sandwiches
1: anymore. <laughs> Live in the dream, but that's but, it, right? Like we don't we don't see this part of it, and and the neglect, right? The the personal neglect, and the um when things are just out of alignment, like living in that much stress and that much fear. So you guys, to de- yeah. So you guys decide you got an opportunity to sell and get out of it. Um, is that when you and I start? Is that when I met you?
2: So when when I met you was actually. Um, Almost a year and a half after that decision had been made. Okay. So when we made that decision, we still were completely in the thick of it. We actually had, um, you know, all of our businesses were still running. We I, we were involved in at least one lawsuit at that point too, and so we had a lot of stuff on our plate to start unwinding. Yeah. So
1: tell me the. To, I, do you mind telling the story about how your investor knew that you weren't in the game anymore? Like. They, <laughs>
2: yeah um so i've i'm I've always been a little hard headed and um, no <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like taking no for an answer and um, you know reverse psychology is something that's always kind of worked on me too. If you tell me i if you want me to do something, tell me I can't do it.
1: Uh-huh.
2: I could sit in a in a boardroom full of investors and just get peppered with questions and get peppered with with critiques. And they would drill me on anything. And I knew the numbers inside and out. I knew the property inside and out. And so no matter what it was that you wanted to bring up, I had an answer for you. And I would not walk out of, out of a, a meeting like that until I had every single person in the room convinced. But my investor, um, right before we decided to, um, to start selling everything off, he uh, was sitting in one of, those, one of those meetings and he just afterwards, he had just asked me, he's like, you feeling all right? Are you, are you sick or anything? I said, no, why? He said, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I just want to see if you're doing all right. And it was probably three days later that we went to lunch and I told him I thought that we should start selling everything off. And he told me, you know, that doesn't surprise me in the least. That that last meeting was the first time that I'd ever seen you not show up as Brian the Bulldog and fight in a boardroom till every single person saw how great your product was. And I just knew that the fight was gone. And mm. so this didn't surprise me at all. So I had gotten to a point where I'd beat myself down. I had to, you know, I was always I prided myself on being The youngest guy in the room the you know that I knew this these products better than anybody else and um it just caught up with me because it was not it was not something that you know I didn't I I would eat sleep and breathe this stuff but I only did it because I felt like I had to in order to to build up um success as as I was defining it at that point.
1: It wasn't so much about the deal as it was a reflection of you. Is that fair to say? Like there was, if they were debating the deal, it was really them debating you. There was something personal in there. Is that? Oh,
2: it was hundred percent personal. I mean, I I took everything personal at that point. Mm-hmm. If you if you said that you didn't want to lease a, a unit in one of my buildings, then. What the fuck is wrong with that asshole? You know, what, <laughs> just sign the fucking lease already. I don't know. Did, were you not treated well as a kid? What right. the hell? <laughs> it, right. was, it was always. Which uh, sounds like,
1: exhausting to live in, in that way where everything is personal, right? It's one thing when you're winning, but it's another where just like I imagine just feeling everything is personal is just. It just, it's the way you describe it, it just sounds exhausting.
2: It, and it, it was. It was constantly exhausting and it was. You know, I, I would labor over emails to people because I wanted to, you know, ha- have the most airtight argument or have the most, you know, I didn't want to have any room for someone to come back and challenge me because if they were, if I created, you know, say an email that was my support for my position was completely irrefutable and completely airtight, then that must be, that must mean that, you know, as a person, I'm completely right and completely perfect, just right. like my argument. Right. So,
1: on yeah. On the defense, it, right? Like, and, and a lot of us, we don't have to be in, in commercial real estate or in any kind of deals to do that. Like, I think a lot of us are doing that. I remember talking to a guy not too long ago, and he said he felt like every day was a referendum on his self-worth. And he he was a hedge fund manager or something. And I just, I felt the weight of that, um, even though he was successful, quote, unquote, Um he didn't have that satisfaction. It was like he had to go in and defend every day, um, and I just felt sorry. Like I felt sad for that. Like it didn't. It didn't sound like an enjoyable way to live.
2: And the the irony of it is that in you know whether you're a hedge fund manager, especially when you're you're dealing with finance, I mean the the job of everyone around you is to try to poke holes in what you're doing, <laughs> to try to understand where where you've missed something. And when you take offense to that, or if you're taking that personally, I mean, you're not even allowing, this was one of the issues I had as a manager, it it made it so it was difficult for the people around me to even do their job. Because um, if I'm taking something personally, when it really is just business, then it doesn't allow for the business to grow, because I'm wedging myself between, you know, real insight and, you know, the growth of the business.
1: So you decide to, to wind things down and sell things off. What's the, and what do you have your eye on at this point? Um, by selling everything off, like what's driving you at that point?
2: So at that point, you know, we were just, we got excited when we started doing some of the math and figuring out how much money that we could have and all of these great things that we could do with all of this cash. And, um, It was really after the first six months that we were able to really relax. Mm -hmm. And so 2014 was this really sort of strange time of um, both my main business partner and I just being like, what the hell do we do with ourselves? (laughs) Because we've been going just gangbusters for years now, and we don't have to do anything. And I, in particular, started, you know, considering, well having built a business, now what, what indicates success other than, you know, going and buying some fancy watches and a new car and things like that. So we moved to California. And that's where I started realizing, oh, you know, the next step here would be doing some angel investing and advising with, with startups. And this was much like when I jumped into um, the online world and trying to you know, emulate Tim Ferriss, this was getting into stuff that I had no experience, but it seemed really exciting and new. So that was where the focus was, was, you know, what am I going to do next? Through this process, I I really, I I had a lot of free time. And 2014 was a lot of free time. I spent writing, I spent um, sort of in this introspection, um, trying to understand what the hell I was supposed to be doing and when i say what i was supposed to be doing it's it wasn't from like an internal place this was from a place of you know what's a guy like me supposed to be doing after he sells these businesses should right. i be investing in apartments now should i be doing you know what are all the what should i be doing
1: yeah i like and, that what am i supposed to do what should i do we're still looking outside of ourselves trying to find that model right okay what's the thing to do now
2: absolutely and so that you know having come from You know, really the mindset of always being busy, having come from the mindset of there's always something to achieve, I was able to fortunately lose a lot of the weight I gained. Um, I actually, in total, lost about 50 pounds. And then I also found myself, you know, throughout the day, just loading up my to-do list with shit, like going to the grocery store going and fixing something in the house, taking the dog to the park.
1: Just to be busy.
2: (laughs) Just being busy. And I found myself with the same like nervous feelings of like, I got so much to do. I got to go to Home Depot and buy a grill brush.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting, right? Like if you tune your body, you tune your nervous system to be in that state. Like even when you remove the 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 scenario that would really have you drive it like we go and create it again we'll go find a way to have that kind of urgency and frantic style again
2: yeah yeah and and about everything I mean it was oh no like I checked out Surfline and there's good waves and i recently bought a new board so I have to go surfing today like there's, <laughs> I have to do it but there's so much other shit I have to do too so I'd go out like, like okay I have to be out for an hour surfing and I'd be like out there with a watch, like constantly looking like, okay, I think it's been about an hour. Shit, it's been 15 minutes. I got to stay out here and surf and try to wow. enjoy it. Wow. And it was, you know, taking the things that you'd be doing for for relaxation even and and taking all the the enjoyment out of it. I was um, going on a two-week trip to Costa Rica and I was going to meet with my brother down there for a week and surf and then meet with my wife. And I was, you know, this is supposed to be just like a relaxing, like celebratory trip. There was just this sort of perfect storm of just like little tiny shit that was stressing me out. And I had to get an Uber to get to LAX. And I was running around the house, like a just literally in a panic attack, like just complete anxiety attack, trying to go to Costa Rica to relax and surf. And my dog, who you know, trip, you're awesome, but I still think my dog is the greatest coach I've ever had. <laughs> he walks into my office where I'm tearing through the closet, trying to find my backpack. And he looks at me and kind of makes like a hmm, sound. And I just turned at him. And I was like, what the fuck do you want? Just screaming and just yeah. totally like losing my shit. And he looks at me with this look that I've never seen him give me before. And he never barks. And he just barks at me as loud as he can and then runs off. And I was like, what the hell just happened? And then he mm. came back around the corner, looks in, and he barks at me again. And then runs off. And it was my dog just being like, dude, you are just losing it. Yeah. And that was, um, that was the point where I realized, like, Whoa! Like I've brought all of you know. Even though I'm living you know in Southern California now, I'm hanging out on the beach all the time. I'm you know got this way more relaxed life. I've just brought all this stress with me and Mm. didn't let go of any of it. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, my dog opening up my eyes to the fact that something needed to change. And that was that was really the the shift. Like that was the beginning of the shift for me because that gave me something to think about for. Two weeks while I was in Costa Rica yeah. and and relaxing, um, uh, which relaxing in and of itself has never really come easy to me. That can be and, really
1: hard for some people. It's like especially if we're used to getting things done and being busy, and we like checklists. and uh, Relaxing can be stress inducing.
2: Well, of course, especially like if you're terrified of sitting around and being with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: yeah. I might actually have to be with me if I if I go there, right?
2: I'm a hard person to be around. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it was
2: much easier to always have stuff to to run around and do, and then I didn't have to think about like you know why I was doing it and. It was at that point that I started to realize for myself that, you know, what I'd always done and, and the things that I'd done ever since I was, I was a kid, I was always working my butt off to, to stand out in some way. Hmm. And that was, you know, whether it was the job I had, how I showed up to the job, the, the, you know, definition of myself as a entrepreneur and building that up, um, I mean, even to, you know, I remember when I was a little kid, I used to tell stories all the time and, and I used to just make, make shit up all the time. And then over, over the years, I started actually doing the crazy things that I used to make stories up about. And then to the point that people didn't, you know, they didn't know my history as you know, a kid making up these stories, but the truth became things that people didn't believe. Hmm. And I realized that, you know, this standing out from people, like sitting down with somebody and even just having like some epic story to tell them about, whether it's surfing or living in a cave for half my freshman year in college, you know, these things are, they're great stories, but they act more as like a divider between myself and others. And I thought, you know, living this outstanding life um, and standing out from people was, was the key to happiness was the key to to actually having an outstanding life. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point when I started to like calm down and, and actually spend some time not trying to be as frantic all the time that I started to realize more that when you slow down and you spend time with others and you're present, like that's really, that's really the key to an outstanding life is standing with others not standing out from them Mm. and you know i see successful guys all the time that you know all they want to do is do something that's going to create some you know they'll call it a legacy or they want to create a name for themselves or whatever it is that or just a ton of money um in order to stand out and be different because they think that somehow that's going to make themselves better that's going to make themselves happy. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was during that time that I started to realize, you know what, standing out from everybody is overrated. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to, I can be the guy that I want to be. I can be, I can do whatever the hell it is that that I want to do, but I don't need to stand out from people. I don't need to go, you know, do something crazy just so, you know, I don't have to go out and climb a mountain just so I can go tell people about it. I don't have to snap all the selfies at the top and, and share that. Um, I still do it from time to time, but it's, <laughs> but that's not the reason to do it. And, and, you know, spending that time and being curious about others, and that's where I started to find, like, whoa, there's a totally different way to approach life and a totally, you know, more relaxing, fun, um, and meaningful way to, yeah. to do that.
1: Well, I'm glad that's what I wanted to get from this interview, right? Like that I remember that day where you brought in that nugget of, of what it meant to stand out and how it actually created a division, it created um distance. It it was keeping you from the life you really wanted and and it was so powerful uh to to realize how much of your energy was going into being outstanding or standing out and and just that it was exhausting. It just didn't serve you anymore and um and I, I'm glad you're, you're bringing this in here because, you know, it's one thing for you to say, hey, look, I, I was able to sell my business and now I'm in this fortunate financial position. But I, I think that you could have had that awakening while you were, you know, no matter what you were doing, that's a, that's a great lesson. Um, I, I don't want to make it about your story becoming you know, having the windfall and then like, oh, well, I'm only in this place and I can only have this awakening because of, of my financial situation. Because I, I think that we can all benefit from that message of like, where are we trying to be better than or or stand out from or any of that kind of stuff. And it's one thing to be, to have fun with it, like you said, and to go compete or whatever. But it's one thing it was like, I, I won't, I don't matter or I don't, Exist if I'm not outstanding. There's something on that level of defending our self worth or defending our self identity that's exhausting. That doesn't sound fun. I think I think a lot of us think about this more than we're conscious of that it's it's in our it's in our identity um, and it drives a lot of a lot of folks, especially the achievers, the the performers out there, um, where everything you know we can kind of find a measuring stick for everything. It's like you know, show me how high to jump, and I'm going to jump that high. So I'm really glad you brought that up because that's the, one of the things that I want people to take away from your journey and what you've learned so far.
2: Yeah. And, and you actually bring up two really great points in that, that, that I just want to touch on, you know, the, we all think that by standing out by, by, per, you know, you brought up performing standing on stage that, you know, by being the guy on stage and everybody watching us and listening to us and, and hanging on our every word that we're, going to somehow be accepted by, by being that guy, by being the guy that, that people look up to. Well, the thing is standing on stage, you're the only guy on stage. Right. <laughs> and you have a, a, a stage between yourself and the people that are there in front of you. And whether it's, that's a, a actual stage, it's, you know, the business world stage, it's, Any, anywhere that you want to look at it, I mean, it's even just, you know, the wanting to get in your fancy car instead of, you know, take the subway with others. I think I've discussed this with you before, and you've probably said this to me a number of times, but quite often the things that we do to make other people like us or love us are the things that push them away. Right. And a lot of the times the things that we do just are actually establishing barriers between ourselves and others. Mm. And the other thing that you that you had mentioned is, you know, that this could have happened certainly without a financial windfall, um, and that's absolutely the case. But, you know, I hear that a lot that, you know, somebody will say, oh, well, it's, you know, that's, this is all easy for you to say, Brian, you know, now you've got this like easy life and you're, you're, you've made all this money and you're not, you don't have to go to work every day and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, that. That's an easy cop out for somebody to to use at this point, because you know what, I wouldn't be able to appreciate what I'm doing now, had it not been for all the hell that I went through before. And so I've seen both sides of it. And now I make the choices that, yeah, you know what, I, when I do work, I'm a lot more productive, and I'm a lot more focused. And I understand the difference between being busy and chaotic and stressed out versus, coming at it from a thoughtful and impactful approach. The issue of money doesn't really have anything to do with it. As soon as you bring money into it, then you're just coming up with one more reason why you don't have control over your own situation.
1: Well said, Brian, thanks so much, man. This has been good. I, I appreciate you really opening up and, and kind of telling us where you were and that, and that mindset and, and, um, and the lessons you've learned. You're still really young, uh, but you've been through a lot and, and, um uh... I'm excited to be able to help you move forward.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Trent.
0: Brian and his wife, Annette, are helping to build a school in Guatemala through a program called Pencils of Promise.
1: They're generously matching every donation dollar for dollar. And if you'd like to learn more about this project, visit learningtorelax.com giving. You can see pictures of the school and most importantly, the students that stand to gain so much. Again, that's learningtorelax.com giving. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.